Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to add my uh, word of thanks, of gratefulness to all of you who helped in our Vacation Bible School and for all of you children. And uh, you did a great job singing someday. Someday, when you get a little bit older, you can be in the choir when we have the choir, and uh, I hope that you'll make plans now for doing just that. Paul gives some words in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, very important words, and so we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Paul asks for prayer for him, one of the missionaries for his missionary band, but we're going to expand this, obviously, to prayer for leaders and for all of us in the church of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning with verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us. What does he ask prayer for? First, that the word of the Lord, we'll see in a minute, that's the gospel, may speed ahead and be honored or glorified as happened among you, and that we may be delivered, this is the second request, from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing, you are obeying, and you will do, you will obey the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. God, our Father, we praise you and thank you for all that we have been able to do today. We have met together in small groups. We've wrestled with your word and the implications that your word has for us as believers, as followers of Christ. We have had the joy of listening to our children sing, and Lord, I, I say a hearty amen to what they we're singing just a few minutes ago, especially about the ABCs of the gospel. May we never forget that, Lord, and may we ask with the Apostle Paul that the gospel message run swiftly, breaking down barriers of hindrance. Father, I pray that today as we work our way through these verses of Scripture that you would apply those to our lives. We need to rely upon you, Lord. Jesus plus nothing. And certainly we will celebrate that as we come to the end of our time and we partake together of the Lord's Supper. And I pray that that would be not only a time when we hear what you say, but we see through the elements that we will partake of, that we see the, the reality of the gospel spelled out again. So we thank you for this and pray that you would guide us now in our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen.
Finally, brothers. You know, I, I think from time to time when I see words like this, what was going through the Apostle Paul's mind, it wasn't the end of the sermon, okay? It wasn't the end of the, the letter. There, there's some more to go. But I think that a lot of times I'll ask this question, and this last week was one of those times, if this were the last sermon, and by the way, it could be, if this were the last sermon that I were ever to preach, what would I want to say? I think I would want to say exactly what I'm going to say today. I just hope I can say it in the way that will make the impact of the words that are listed here from the Apostle Paul. Basically, here is the message. It's about prayer, but it's about prayer for a very, very specific thing, that we realize that our salvation, that our Christian life, that our ministry, and I'm talking about our ministry, my ministry, the, the ministry of the elders, of all of the leaders, of the teachers, but ultimately your ministry too, will not ultimately be dependent upon human personality or even human ability or organizational plans or programs but ultimately in the Lord. And Paul recognizes that, and that's why he says, finally, brothers, when all is said and done, pray for us. God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. Let's look at the three things that are on your outline, and we're going to walk through these. You see the verses there below them. And we're going to just talk about these and try to pull some application out of those. The first point of application is this, pray for, and, and this, is, this is a word to us. I, I want you to internalize this. I, I want you as a result of this to make certain commitments, all right? This is not just a nice little talk. This is supposed to generate some inner response that will also lead to an outer response. Pray for the unhindered advance of the proclamation of the gospel. Let me read that verse again, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord, that is the gospel, may speed ahead and be honored or glorified as happened among you. Now, the word of the Lord here is equivalent to the gospel. By the way, I, I did not know what the kids were going to sing today. And that second song, particularly, I thought was so very appropriate. How do I know that the Word of God here, pray for the Word of God to advance, pray for it to literally to run ahead, to speed ahead, because you have been born again. I'm speaking to Christians here. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You have been born again, not by perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. That's what Paul mentions there. Of his own will, James says, he brought us forth by the Word of truth. That is the gospel. I listened to a clip, video clip that is making the rounds. Somebody sent it to somebody in our office, and that person sent it to me, and I listened to it. I, I don't often recommend video clips or even other people's sermons. I know that you listen to them, and that's, that's good. I, I probably have three very brief clips that get to the heart of something, as few things do. Well, anyway... This clip was by a preacher named Alistair Begg. Anybody ever heard that name, Alistair Begg? And I, I, I've quoted him before. He, he's a dear brother in Christ. We're about the same age, a lot of the same beliefs that, that parallel each other. The one thing that is different about us is that he speaks with this incredible Scottish brogue, and I don't. But in this clip, he, he, he gives an illustration of the gospel. It's probably one of the best that I've heard, and I thought I'm preaching about the gospel this weekend. I'm preaching about what we believe as a church, that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And that's what we'll be celebrating when we come to the end of our time today. Jesus plus nothing. And so he tells the story as only he can do, and he throws humor into it. It's, it's really good. Just Google, not now, not now during the sermon, please, okay? Later, Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross, and he goes through the guy that, that squeaks into heaven, and he meets the angel there, and like the old question, why should I let you in to heaven, and the, the angel says, well, the, the, the guy says to him, well, I, I'm not sure, I, I don't know, and he says, well, what, what do you believe about this, and what do you believe about that, and he says, well, I, I don't know, and he says, well, have you been baptized, have you, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith, and he says, no, he says, then why are you here? And the thief on the cross says, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. That is the gospel. And there's nothing more important than the gospel. Hey, children, help me out. Now, I tried to memorize what you were singing a minute ago. So if you want to do the hand signs, you can do that. Help me out with the ABCs of the gospel. I didn't study those this last week. Like, you've got them down, though. So, A, what's A? Admit. Admit that you have sinned against God. Admit. Confess your sins against God. What's the B? Believe. Boy, you've got it down. This is the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord and see. 
confess that he is your Lord and Savior. See, something happens when we believe the gospel. Here's what Paul said. There's a power in the gospel. Now, we don't understand it, and it can happen for a young person. It can happen for an older person. We, we never get beyond this, but there is a power. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew, in terms of first in order, not first in importance, please, There's a whole lot that could be said. I won't say it right now, but also to the Greek. It is the power of salvation. And then here's an outline of the gospel on these two slides. Here, here's what Paul says later on, writing to the Corinthian church, the gospel defined. He says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now here are the elements of the gospel for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. The incarnation. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a sinless life. He gave himself as our substitute, the substitutionary atoning death of Christ. He was buried because he really died. And he was resurrected bodily. And he ascended into heaven. And much like what we've learned Going through First and Second Thessalonians, he is coming again, and he will reign eternally. You see, just like Alistair Begg said, it's all about the man on the middle cross. Let me go back to this and, and let you see this again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, no one in this room would say you're ashamed of the gospel. But Paul here is asking these people at Thessalonica to do something, to pray so that the power of the gospel would advance without hindrance for everyone who believes. It is the power of God unto salvation. And so with him, I would say, let's pray this. Let's pray that the gospel would run, would speed ahead, would be honored and glorified. By the way, how is the gospel glorified? Now, I, I, I think we can see what it means to speed ahead. Paul was saying that wherever I go, I want to preach the gospel and not be ashamed in any way of it not be, be forced to back down, but what does it mean that the gospel is glorified? Well, let's look and see what Jesus said. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And, and could I just stop? This is something that I was asking myself all during the week. First of all, 
Lord, am I in any way ashamed of the gospel? Am I in any way hesitant to share the gospel? With those with whom I come into contact, you know, I think most of you know by now we've gotten the word out, but Jesse Ortiz, Griselda Durham's dad, went to be with Jesus this last week. And I was sharing with them and just asking a little bit about him and his life and, and his ministry. One of the things Jonathan said was he shared the gospel with everyone that he encountered. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And, and by the way, Jonathan, I, I left that morning. <laughs> I said, Lord, please, let me be like Jesse Ortiz. But also let me bear fruit. Let my life, now it's Jesus plus nothing, right? We're going to take the Lord's Supper. It's Jesus plus nothing. But, but if we're in Christ, we want to bear fruit. We hunger to bear fruit. Is that true of you as a believer? Is that true of our, of our church we are praying that the gospel be glorified in individuals, in couples, in families, in the life of the church. And I think it's interesting that Paul says something that's very, very significant. He said that the gospel may speed ahead and be honored or glorified, look at this, as happened among you. Uh, turn back with me. You've got your Bible, at least there on your lap or your smart device, and I just want to read a couple of these, uh, these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 so that you can see how the, the, the gospel really did ha have an impact on those people in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5. Listen to some of these things. And, and, and maybe you can see or ask the question, is this true of my life? Is it true of, of the life that I, that I live in my family or in my church? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. Now, let me just say this. I... That is stunning right there. And I wonder week by week, and I, I said a minute ago, I'm, I'm grateful that we don't depend upon the ability and the power of man. Yes, I want to preach and deliver to you the Word of God accurately and passionately. But ultimately, what you do with it is not dependent upon how loudly I speak or how animated I am or am not or how much I spit and slobber I, 
this word full conviction. The gospel came to you in power. The Holy Spirit, full conviction. What? When was the last time, and hopefully it was like maybe this morning in ABF or Sunday school, or maybe last week, or maybe in your own personal Bible study, when was the last time that the Word came to you in power, attended by the Holy Spirit, and it brought deep conviction, not condemnation? If you're a believer in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, there ought to be every time we open the Word of God and we, we encounter it in power and by the presence of the Holy Spirit, there ought to be conviction unless you're perfect. Let, let me just read on. See what else? I, I, you, you, we could just go through this. This is kind of a little review. In verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction. Watch this. In their affliction, what else was there? It was mingled with joy. The joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Drop down. And how you, came, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for, him, for His Son coming from heaven. So in answer to the question, what does it look like for the gospel in your life to be glorified, it's all of those things. Conviction, power, Holy Spirit, joy in the midst of your pain. An example of spiritual growth and maturity, turning away from the old life, turning to the things of God, sharing the gospel. I said something about being ashamed of the gospel, and I came across an old article that I had, uh, I copied it off years ago, uh, it, the title of it is kind of, it, it's interesting. The Christian has no right to evangelize. Let that sink in. The Christian has no right to evangelize. It's by Tom White. He was the, uh, the director, the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs himself had been imprisoned in Cuba for handing out literature. So he, he knew of imprisonment and that kind of thing. But he makes a, an incredible statement about the right to witness. I, I want you to really hear this. He says in the New Testament, there are hundreds of words of prophecy and exhortation from Jesus and words of testimony from his followers demonstrating Christian witness before the authorities. Now, here's what I want you to hear. They did not seek permission for this witness. They already had it from a higher authority. Is our battle to maintain a legal right to witness? stealthily replacing the divine exercise of sharing our testimony required of us by God. Christian testimony 
Evangelization is not our right. It is our mandate. Pray for that. All around us, questions are being asked in our culture. What about if it comes to the time when they say you cannot meet? You can't assemble together. What about the time when they say you cannot proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and His commands? I'm not saying we ought not to do all within our power as believers living in this country where we have the right to do so. But ultimately, as Tom White has said, we do not look to human authority for permission to share the gospel. I was talking to my dad recently, had a chance to visit with him. He's 94. We were talking about um, just life growing up. He told me something that I'd never heard him say before. I'll just share this with you, and you, you let it sit, and I'm, uh, I'm going to come back to it, but there's a point to this. Certainly not to thump myself on the chest. But he said, Marty, I, I always knew that no matter what you were going to do, that you probably would end up being a pastor or a preacher. Because I remember you as a child. He said child, not a student, not a young person, but as a child sitting on the front row. I grew up in a church that had about 50 members. Calvary Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Compact. Sitting on the front row, um, you know, I talked about, I hope that wasn't gross when I said spitting and slobbering. Some of you are old enough to know that if you sit on the front row back in the day, you were in the slobber zone, the spit zone. Pastor gets worked up, but he said, I remember you sitting there and taking notes. Even then, a love for Jesus. Listen, pray for that. You know why? Do you know why Paul says pray for these things? Pray for the gospel to go forward. Pray that also it would be honored by fruit because it is inevitable that hindrances are going to come. Paul knew it. He said a wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries. Look at the second point. Pray for those who proclaim the gospel to be guarded. Those who proclaim the gospel, if you're a proclaimer of the gospel, you fit into this, to be guarded and delivered from spiritual enemies and established in the faith. Verses 2 and 3, and pray that we may be delivered from, there are two things working here, wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against not only evil and wicked men, but also there is an entity that's after us. 
He's called by various names, the adversary. He's called the, the evil one right here. See, Paul knew that the battle would be fierce. Anybody experienced any part of the battle this past week? If you're praying, if you're seeking to witness, and maybe that's why a lot of people are not, I'm talking about professing Christians, not, they, no, I don't experience any battle. Are you seeking to get, take the gospel, to make it run? You're seeking to bear fruit. If you are, you don't have to worry. The battle is going to be brought to you. Satanically inspired and energized people. That's what he's talking about. Wicked, th that word is interesting. Wicked, unreasonable, perverse, twisted. And these kind of people would oppose Paul. This is, this is right about the ministry to the, the, the church in Thessalonica. The Jews were jealous. These are the evil and wicked men. Yes, religious people. And taking some wicked men of the, of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, shouting, boy, what a great compliment. They didn't even know that they were giving them one of the greatest compliments in the world. These men have turned the world upside down, and they've come here. Someone has wisely said the Christian life is war. Paul knew this. Paul was willing to die for the gospel. Oh, by the way, but not one second before it was time, okay? This is so interesting. He wasn't just out there saying, I want to be martyred today. He said, no, 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 pray, because God has an end game in mind and pray that I make it to the end game. Pray that I be guarded against these kinds of men, and also pray that I be guarded against something else. And, and I see this in his prayer to, to ask the Lord to ask you to pray for me, for leaders, for yourselves, for your children, for attacks against us by the evil one. I charge and entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, watch this, and a good conscience, excuse me, wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Why? At some point, they, they stopped being watchful. At some point, they stopped being sober-minded. Maybe they started disbelieving that life was filled with, you know, different things that were going to happen, but they forgot that they have an enemy who's very real, who's after them, who's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This kind of situation is being encountered by people throughout the world. Students, I, I want you to... Uh, I want you to think about something, and I, I, I look around, I see children too. I'm not sure if I can get your attention and, and if this will make sense, but you adults too, but particularly the students. 
most likely there are fellow students sitting in this room that someday they might have gone to Mission Arlington, Camp Barnabas, other places like that. But one of these days, they're going to turn their back on the faith. They will declare that they are atheists. They will say that it was never real. They will deny the faith. And usually there's a parallel. They will start living in a lifestyle that is absolutely against the commands of God. I've got to have your prayer so I don't be a Tom White. I almost was. For those of you who don't know the rest of the story about Tom White, for 20 years, the leader at Voice of the Martyrs, he took his life when the authorities were coming to arrest him. I'll say it as gently as I can for inappropriate relationships that were illegal and immoral. How does that happen? Did he fail to be sober-minded? Did he fail to be watchful and not realize that we have an enemy? Not just the people from outside. I think sometimes it's the inner stuff going on that the enemy can exploit even more. Nobody, John MacArthur says, ever just falls out of a tree. You'll get there. Adults, I don't care how old you are. He was 64 years old when the authorities were coming for him, and rather than face the music, he took his life. Did did he forget that we have an enemy? Did he forget that we need to be watchful? I, I, I was so on fire when I was a young person and into my teen years until I started. I don't know. I, I don't think it was because the preacher didn't preach it. I think I just was not listening. I wasn't watchful and I wasn't sober-minded. And I went that way. And thank God by His grace and mercy. I don't deserve it. I don't understand all of it. Why me and and, and not the other person, my buddy that never did come back? I'm just grateful that He did it in my heart. Now, you've got to know this, that God's heart is to save say, well, you're strong on the sovereignty of God. Do you really believe? Yeah, I really believe it because the Bible says it. He says we need to pray. Pray for the things, the people around us 
so that we can live the kinds of life that, that we're, we're, we're not only contributing to our own needs in the way we ought to, but then there's a reason all behind this. It's pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. See, Satan's aim is that nobody be saved. God's aim is that people be saved. And the only way they're going to be saved is if the gospel gets to them in word. And it really does need to be accompanied not by a perfect life, but a life where they can see there at least is some change. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Let's look at the last point. Pray for confidence in the Lord, for growth and obedience to all His commands and for God-centered love and Christ-like endurance. This connects with the next passage, okay, which I'll be doing in, in, in a bit. It says, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing, you're obeying, you are obeying, present tense, and you will obey, you will do the things that we command. Oh, by the way, what are the things that God, uh, that, that Paul commands? They're just the things that Jesus commands. And he said, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. That's why it says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. Now, that can be the love of God that we experience, certainly, but it's love for God. You see, you will not pursue the things of God unless you ask God to grow you in love for Him. And then the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen if you do this? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. What's going to happen to you if you do that in the world? I, not only wicked and evil men, but also the enemy of our souls. You can bet on it, you're going to get hammered. And that's why we have this marvelous encouragement from the writer of the Hebrews, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's go back because he said something before he got to verse 3. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... What do we need to do, students? What do we need to do, adults? Lay aside the hindrances to the gospel. Lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's the endurance, the steadfastness of Christ despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says it in Philippians, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I, I, I pray for you. I, I pray for my family. Things like this. I, I, I just copied these down off of my prayer guide. 
that I pray for my kids. I pray for my grandkids. I pray for Jan. Or give them a deepening walk with and love for you. Give them purity in every area of life. Protect them from the evil one. Give them a passion for the things you love and a hatred for the things that you hate. God, give them courage. Give them courage. Had a dear brother ask me this last week, issued into a good discussion. We had a little bit of this discussion in our Sunday school class. I'm going to throw it out to you. Parents, great discussion starter with your kids or grandkids, okay? Question was asked, is there ever a time, please don't answer this out loud, unless you have the right answer. Is there ever a time when it's right to lie? Thank you. Oh, the purity of children. You're going to hear later on, back in the day, there was a thing called situational ethics. I don't even know if people are still talking about that. Here's situational ethics. It's wrong unless certain circumstances happen. Then it would be okay to lie. Corey Ten Boom, classic example. The Nazis come in. Are you hiding Jews? Hey, you're protecting someone. Is it okay to lie? Let me just give you, parents, you're scrambling, saying, what am I going to tell my kids? Tell them this. It's never, ever okay to break the moral code of God, which expresses His character. We are to be truthful because God is truth. But... Ecclesiastes gives some wisdom. There is a time to be silent, and there is a time to speak. Just put that in the hopper and see how it shakes out. Your wife comes up and says, honey, does this look good on me? Don't lie. There is a time to be silent. And a time to speak. But above all, in our obedience, our obedience. Paul says, we've got confidence in you that you're, you're obeying. You will obey. Why? Because you trust God to work out the circumstances that you don't yet understand. And here's the problem. If you parents and grandparents tell them it's okay to lie about the ninth commandment, guess which commandment in our culture today they're probably going to jump to? The seventh. 
You know which one that is. The one about purity. You shall be pure because I, the Lord your God, am pure. I've created man in two genders only. I've created man to come together in the bonds of holy matrimony only. Except if circumstances. You see how that gets people in to trouble. That's why when Paul says he has confidence, I we heard a, a, a news situation this last week, watching the news. They had a like a five-minute segment on the courage of a young man who, quote, came out. Now, please hear me. He wasn't sure what he was. I, I asked Jan the question, what, what courage does that take in our culture when all month we've been celebrating it? It will, parents, grandparents, students, it's going to take courage with confidence in the Lord to obey and keep obeying what God says. And trust Him with the results. Pray. That's what this whole thing has been about. Pray. So I end with this. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Some of you probably are going to say, what do I do with that sermon? <laughs> At least pray about it. Well, whatever you're going through, pray and don't lose heart. Will God, now, now look at this, will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? If you have no justice, could it be that you're not crying to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. But I would love for you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you came in here with a family member and you, you, you're not a churchgoer. That, we're, we, we're glad you're here. But if you've never experienced the ABCs of the gospel, to admit that you're a sinner before a holy God, you need to repent, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he died in your place on Calvary's cross and to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And we invite all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, even if you're not a member of the church, you're, you're a part of the church universal, and so we invite you in a few moments to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Let me, let me pray, and then we will make sure that you have the elements and we will partake together. Father, I thank you for your word and... Uh, I'm, I'm reminded through stammering lips, the truth can go forth.
I pray that you would uh, take any hindrance away from what I have said, uh, meaning me as a, as a person, as a man, and uh, let your word dwell richly in the hearts of your people, bring about transformation. So Father, as we take a few moments now to remember that it's Jesus plus nothing, not works that we have done, it's the finished sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross. And so help us to remember that as we partake of the wafer that symbolizes the broken body of Christ and the juice which symbolizes the shed blood of Christ for our sins. And I thank you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.